you know, in life, some things are good, but they're just not that important. I mean, unless you're a member uh, or you have stock in one of the football teams today, as much as I love it, it's not going to matter a whole lot tomorrow for you and me who won or who didn't won, unless you were silly enough to bet lots of money on the ball game, then that matters extremely uh, a lot to you. Or fantasy football, you know, I know people who play fantasy football, and you'd think that they, they were the owner of the, the um, Baltimore Ravens, the way they get uptight about it. Some things are good, the color of the carpet. Churches have split literally over color of the carpet of a sanctuary. Folks, I want to tell you, there might be a reason to split, but the carpet color is never one of them. That's an okay thing, but it's just not that important. Well, in 2 Corinthians 4 tonight, we're going to look at some things that are, that are good, that are right, and that are important. I mean, they're things that you, you need to be right on because really and truly, they absolutely 110% matter. Here's the first thing. You need to be right on your purpose. You need to be right on why the Lord God Almighty has left you here on this earth. As a Christian, you have a purpose. You're not left here to flounder. You're not left here to wander. You're left here. God has a purpose for your life. In verse 1, God through Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy, God's compassion and generosity, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. The word ministry there literally means service. Paul knew what his ministry was. Paul was an apostle. He was one sent by God. He was a missionary. He was called specifically to be a preacher and a writer and a missionary to non-Jewish people. He knew what his purpose specifically was. Now listen, every one of you this evening, you have a specific purpose. Whatever it is, God's left you here for and you need to find that purpose. And you're young enough, you've, part of the way you find that is through your career and what God wants you to do. You go to college, not to just get a degree so you can do what you want to do and what God's called you to do, not just uh, so you make money. Making money is great. You need that. But to live out your purpose is what God's left you here for. And, and folks, us older people in your career, maybe you say, well, I'm 50 or 55. How do I change a career? Well, you change your career if you need to, if God's calling you to. You're retired. God still has a purpose. Listen, our church purpose revolves around three words, love, win, and grow. And that is the purpose of every Christian. Did you know that? Every Christian here now, you go, well, I don't know what specifically what God wants me to do. Let me tell you generally what God wants you to do. He wants you to love him. He wants you to love people. He wants you to win people to Christ and help people grow up in Jesus Christ. Love, win, and grow. The Bible says we are God's ambassadors. Every one of us, an ambassador is a representative of a king or of a sovereign country on a foreign soil. Folks, as a Christian, your home is in heaven, and God has left you here to be his representative, his playmaker. That's exciting, isn't it? And Paul knew what God had left him here for. And listen, Paul made a splash while he was here on this earth because he knew why he was here. But Paul also got terribly discouraged at times. If you remember last fall, we looked for two Sunday mornings at 2 Corinthians 1. Paul said, man, we're about to get beat up so bad, we're ready to die. Next Sunday night, we're going to look, so we're looking where Paul says, I was perplexed, I was confused. Paul talks about later on in 2 Corinthians about all the horrible things he went to. Paul, Paul was terribly discouraged at times. And he says, we, I don't lose heart because I have a target. 
I try to keep my eye on the goal. When I get discouraged, when I want to quit, I remember God has left me here for a purpose. So isn't that great advice? The only people that don't get discouraged and down every now and then are liars or people whose life don't matter. Greatest people in the Bible are the ones who struggle the most with depression and discouragement. That's the ones the devil hits the hardest. But how do you keep going? You keep your eye on the target. Why God has left you here. Handel wrote the beautiful uh, musical, The Messiah, and it is said he wrote this in 22 days. In 22 days, but for 22 days they said he hardly slept, nor did he hardly eat. You know why? Because his eye was on the purpose. He had a tremendous task before him. Years ago, a famous pastor named Alexander Wyatt was written by a young minister who was certain God had called him to preach, but he was ready to quit. He was discouraged. Things weren't happening good in his church. Things were happening bad in his church. And he wrote this great older preacher, and he said, I'm ready to quit. What should I do? And he said, don't ever quit on Jesus. Whatever God's left you here for, don't quit on that. He said, the angels long to preach. The angels long to lead people to Jesus Christ. The angels long to do things that we are left here to do, and they'll never do them. Keep your eye on your purpose. Be right on your purpose. It's not only a good thing, it's an extremely important thing to be right on your purpose. Here's the second thing, and that's your purity. And certainly these go together in a very, very significant way. Paul said, I live out my purpose. I live out why God's left me here. I know it, and I'm focused on it. It keeps me going when I don't want to go anymore. But it's important we live our lives for Christ with purity. Number one, moral purity. You're pure morally. In verse 2, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We'll look at the rest of that verse in a moment. Here's what Paul was saying. I'm trying to live for Christ. I know my purpose in a specific way. We all know ours in a general way. Love God, love people, win people, grow them up in Christ. We're his ambassadors. But folks, you cannot serve God effectively or fruitfully If you're not morally pure, Paul said, listen, we put aside the shameful ways of darkness. We live above reproach. Folks, I want to challenge you just real briefly tonight. Be morally pure. God can use a lot of things, but he can't use a dirty vessel. You get that? He can use a broken vessel. He can use a messed up vessel. He can use a young vessel, an old vessel, a wrinkled vessel. (laughs) But he can't use a dirty vessel. Morally pure. Now, here's another thing I think is very important. Pure in your motives. Pure on the inside as well as the outside. Not only, he says, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of of God. Paul said, listen, we're not only pure on the outside. Listen, here's where a lot of Christians mess up. A lot of Christians don't do bad things. That's what I saw Christianity as as a young person. They didn't do bad things. But a lot of Christians are impure on the inside in, in our motives and how we go about business. Paul said, I'm pure on the inside and the outside. It's the picture here of a, a merchant in Paul's day who sold wine and And ones who were dishonest oftentimes would water down the wine so they could sell more wine. They were selling the diluted and cheap product. Paul said, I don't water down the wine. 
My life is pure. The gospel I proclaim may not be popular all the time, and it certainly wasn't, but I'm going to lay it out clearly and purely. It's unadulterated. You know what adultery is? It's, it's violating a faithful vow to someone. He said, I'm not adulterated on the outside or the inside. I'm trying to be righteous from the inside out. Folks, the end never justifies the means in Christianity. In other words, you don't try to accomplish a good goal by, by cheating and stealing and sneaking. God says it's important that Christian people go about God's work and they seek to be pure on the outside, but they seek to be pure on the inside. That's the right thing to be right on, I guarantee you. Now, here's the third thing, and it's interesting. He touched on this last week, and just to, uh, we touched on it last week. Paul didn't touch on it the week before in his writing. In fact, he, he, what he said, he came to it just a, a minute or two later. We need to understand lost people are spiritually blind. And this is something that's important to be right on. Look in verse 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's not because Paul said because we're watering it down or it's adulterated. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbeliever so they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Again, if you were here last week, it's interesting how just a few verses before Paul addressed this, then he comes back and addresses it again. Must have thought, God must have thought it was pretty important. It's, it is vital that we understand people who are not Christians, the Bible says their eyes are veiled to spiritual things. It, it's for three fundamental reasons. One, it's just sin. It's sin. It's a choice. The more you listen to the Word of God, you read it, you hear it, and you ignore it, the harder you get. And it's certainly it's a work of Satan. The, the, the goal of Satan is to blind you spiritually. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this is really, really significant. You've got to understand the battle that you're in spiritually. 150, probably 300 years ago, if you were a man and you offended another man, you might be challenged to a duel. If you were challenged to a duel, you better understand how a pistol works. Amen? Or you better pray your opponent doesn't, right? Or you're challenged to sword fight because you offended his wife. You better know how to use a sword. Or if you're challenged to box, you better know how to... You need to understand the rules of engagement. And the rules of engagement are the, the lost world doesn't understand the things of God. They can't understand the things of God fully without the Spirit of God. So see... You, like me, you get frustrated. You witness to people. You talk to people about Jesus, that family member, that friend, that neighbor, the person who's been in church for 30 years, and they just don't ever seem to get it. You know why? It's important you understand this. It takes the Spirit of God to understand spiritual things. Look what he says in verse 6. I think this is important. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of 
the glory of God in the face of Christ. But Paul was saying this, listen, Paul was blinded, literally, wasn't he? And, and God literally, by the light, opened his eyes. How do you get lost people to understand spiritual things? The battle's going to be one on your knees more than it is in an argument. Because you've got to get the Spirit of God to penetrate their heart and to peel the calluses off their eyes and to open up their ears where they're going to respond to God. You see, if we trusted the Holy Spirit and we prayed a lot more, we might see a lot more things happen. It's important we understand that lost people don't understand the things of God naturally, just like you didn't before you were a Christian. And here's the last thing he says in this beautiful passage that, that is so profound. And, boy, this is kind of the, 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 the cream of it all. It's about Jesus. And I'm going to explain that a lot more in the next minute or two. Boy, you need to know your purpose. You need to be pure. You need to understand Spiritually, spiritual truths are discerned by spiritual people. You're in that Bible study with that person who just doesn't get it, doesn't get it, doesn't get it. Okay, maybe you are a bad teacher. (laughs) Maybe I'm a bad preacher. Maybe they're just lost. But ultimately, a Christian in a church needs to realize that it's about Jesus Christ. Folks, let me tell you this. I, I believe this is true. The fundamental problem that 99% of churches that they have is this. They forget it's about Jesus first and foremost. Did you know this church is ultimately not about the pastor? It's not about the choir. It's not about a men's group, a women's group, about the deacons, about the older people, the younger people. The true church is ultimately about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. And by the way, he's madly about people, so he doesn't push us out of the mix. Problem most churches, they forget this. Now listen, I don't know a lot of your problems personally, but I'm going to tell you one of the problems you have as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you forget it's about him. It's ultimately not about my will, your will, my wishes, your wishes in our life. If we're a Christ follower, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus. If there's nothing else you leave here tonight with, remember, this isn't just a good thing to be right on. It's a super good thing to be right on. It's about Jesus first. Let me define this or lay this out. Number one, he's Lord. He alone is Lord. In verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, as master and ruler and king, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Remember that word Lord was translated in the Septuagint, which was the, the Hebrew, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, what Jesus probably read. And that word Lord in the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, often referred to God. So it was saying here that Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. He is master. He is ruler. Now, it's also interesting. There was a group of people called Judaizers that traveled in Paul's day, and their goal was to try to convert people to Judaism and to legalism, and they were like, they were traveling missionaries like Paul. What they were known for, they were known for a lot of times is preaching themselves. There were a lot of philosophers in Jesus and Paul's day who were infamous that that their whole message was about praise me and look how great I am and listen to me. And and Paul said, listen, I'm I'm not lifting Paul up. I'm lifting Jesus up. Jesus alone is the master and the Lord. 
It's about Jesus. Why is it about Jesus? It's about Jesus because he is Lord. The, the crime, the things that early Christians died for is they were supposed to say, Caesar, the king is Lord, and they wouldn't do it. They said, no, we have one Lord. It's Jesus. He is Lord. Why is it about Jesus? Because he alone is Lord. Here's the second part of that. You're the vessel, not the treasure. I'm a vessel. He is the treasure. Now, this is a neat thing. I got God in me. Isn't that awesome? But I'm just the, 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 the case. The treasure is Jesus Christ, not me. Look at verse 7. This is such a neat little verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Clay pots were the most common vessels of this day. Still find a lot of clay pots in this area. Clay pot was, was common. It was cheap. But oftentimes, people kept their valuables in these clay pots. The clay pot wasn't significant, was it? It was that it contained something very valuable. You're not insignificant. Man, you're made in the image of God. But never forget, the case is not more important than the valuable in it. If you've got a money clip tonight... It cost you $10 and you got $1,000 in it. What's more important, the money or the clip? You go to the jewelry store tomorrow and you're going to buy the pastor a Rolex for Valentine's Day. You know, they got those things locked in cases, don't they? So people like you and me won't get our grubby hands all over them, right? The case isn't the most important thing there. It's important. It keeps you and me, our fingerprints off things. The case is significant because it plays an important part. But what's important is the thousands and thousands of dollars of rings and watches inside of the case. That's what Paul's saying. You're significant. I'm significant. But it's about Jesus because we contain Jesus, but we're just the vessel. He is the treasure. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that neat that we get to bear the vessel, the treasure, though, in us? And see, here, here's a couple things this ought to do. One, it ought to humble us. Wayne, you should never get up and sing how great I am, correct? <laughs> how great I am. And Wayne never would. You know why? Because it's, not, it's, it's, it's about Jesus. Here's the second thing. It takes the pressure off you and me. Now, I don't mean, listen, a lot of Christians, we're just lazy. A lot of churches are just lazy. A lot of churches say, well, if God wants them to come, they'll come. And their churches are empty. No, we need to do everything we can. In fact, God, God doesn't use dirty vessels. We need to be pure and clean and open to God. But look what it says in verse 7 again. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure's Jesus. We're the jar of clay to show that this all-suppressing power is from God. The word power there is where it's a Greek word. We get our English word dynamite from. And that word power means an inherent power that's, that's extremely powerful. Listen, it's, it's about Jesus Christ, isn't it? The pressure's off me. If I'm clean, I'm open, I'm doing my part, it's up to him. And he's, he can do it, can't he? He can do it. So I should be humble. It's about him. And, and the pressure's off me. I need to do my very best. But ultimately, I don't have any power. But I got God's dynamite in me, which makes me powerful. Correct? And then that brings us back to the last thing. 
This keeps us on target. Keeps everything on target when you think about this. I want to read them again because I think they're so worth it. Verse 5 and 7. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as the what? Servants. That literally means a slave for Christ's sake. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Man, let's, let's get this right this evening in our lives here tonight. Let's get it right. We'll talk about the church first. Here's what hurts churches. It's not about Jesus. Years ago, I had a friend, a pastor friend. He went to a new church. He called me after he'd been there for a month. He goes, I know the problem. I said, wow, you've been there a month? You know the problem? He said, yep. It's about everything but about Jesus. He said, now he's been there for a while and the church is doing great. But he said, when he first got there, he said, I'd go out to eat with the the young people. And they'd say, what are you going to do for the young people? I'd go out to eat with some young married couples. What are you going to do for the young married couples? I'd go out to eat with people from the choir. Pastor, what are you going to do for the choir? I'd go out to eat with the singles. What are you going to do for the singles? I'd go out to eat with women. What are you going to do for the women's group? I'd go out to eat with the senior adults. What are you going to do for the senior adults? I'd go to the nursery and they'd cry. He said it was just a bunch of special interest groups that met in the same building. Folks, it's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. It's got to be about how Jesus defines the church in the Bible if we're going to be the great church that he wants us to be. And I believe we want it to be that. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. I heard a missionary say one time, been on the mission field for years, where he was, there are a lot of missionaries in the same area. So what's your biggest problem? You know, we thought, well, it's going to be lack of money. It's going to be the, the natives don't respond. The government of that country is bad. He said, nope, biggest problem is other missionaries. So everybody wants to be first. It's not about Jesus. Your life again this evening. Biggest thing is you need to make it about Jesus. Man, you are very important. You're the vessel, but he's the power. He is the treasure. You and I need to make a decision to let him be everything and us be the servant and the slave. As a church, we're the servant and slave. Listen, this is his body and his bride. It's not your body or my bride. It's his. Yes, we ought to claim this is our church and be proud of it. But it's ultimately his church. As a Christian, as a Christian you're called to die to yourself. Your life is not about you. It's about Jesus. And if we would ever get this right, we would be on the way to experiencing a little heaven on earth. So I want to challenge you this, in just a moment. When we give our invitation, I want to challenge you in a couple of ways. One, if you're not a Christian... Come and give your life to Christ. Let Jesus remove the blinders tonight. Respond to him. You want to join our church? Come and join us. We would love for you to. I really think we're a church that wants to be about Jesus first. And if you're a Christian, listen to me for just one more minute. If you're a Christian, is it really and truly, is the church in your eyes about him If you look at your life really and truly, honestly, is Jesus the co-pilot? He don't want to be the co-pilot. He wants you to get in the back seat. He wants to be the pilot. Is Jesus driving the ship of your life? 
Is the treasure controlling the vessel or the vessel controlling the treasure? Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, let's give it all back to Jesus tonight and make it about him. Let's stand, and as God leads you, you respond. We'll be waiting on you.